Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining me today is another one of those critically underfollowed accounts that uh, reached out to me on uh, Twitter via DMs to see if it would be possible to, to connect, have a chat, talk about life, talk about Bitcoin. He's known as Joe Dirte. Please go and follow him. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I really enjoyed meeting this young man and I'm sure you will be inspired as well. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Really appreciate everybody for listening and sharing and liking and commenting, whatever it is that you're doing. Make sure you check out uh, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. If you want to start stacking stats with those guys, if not, head over to swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten to start your journey in the US. Thanks everybody for listening. Big hat tip to at hodler than now, Sir Badders. Thanks for the music in the background. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to at 21ism and what you've got planned. Enjoy the show, guys. Catch you after. Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. And joining us today is uh, Joe Derte, <laughs> as you might say in French. And um, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And Lauren. Yes. You are here. Yes, I know. <laughs> Do you have the first question for Joe? Yeah, my question is, hold on, sorry. Um, why did you contact my dad? Well, I listened to his podcast with, uh, oh, who was it? It was the, uh, he was a really smart kid that came out of the, um, what, what was that one? That was Seth Peachy. Yeah. I listened to that one yeah. and I was like, you know what? I need to contact your dad. I'd love to come out of the, uh, come out in the open and join the Bitcoiner community. And yeah, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and all that stuff. So yeah, thought it was a fun opportunity for both of us. Okay. And, um, um, I think I got another question. What do you do? Well, that's a pretty interesting question. So I went to school to be a mechanical engineer. I got a job right out of college in uh, Montana, where I'm, I was born and raised, and then um, decided to go down to California to get a different job down there, worked at a, one of the biggest corporations in the world for a while, and it was going pretty good for a while. I found the love of my life down there, so no complaints, but... Um, it just kind of ate away at me because it wasn't a very fulfilling job. And it was one of the big, biggest corporations in the world. So, um, yeah, they did, were just kind of heartless. And I had like s six bosses, three different job titles in like the year and a half I was there. 
And finally I was like, I, I just can't do this anymore. And my girlfriend, um, had gotten in a car wreck earlier that year and she had to drop out of law school. So for, for a short time, she's back in now and this is her last semester and she's almost done in a month. Yay. But, um, yeah, I just, I went up and I stayed with my parents the last couple months in Idaho and I went around Montana, went to some national parks and I've really just enjoyed the last couple months and just hodled every sat and didn't sell one. So that's, <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what I'm doing now. And that's where I've been. Cool. Do you have any further uh, questions? N- no. No? Okay, that's good. And before before you go, I've got to do one quick shout out to uh, Sir William of Rotherham. He's uh, at Hodlong Comrades on Twitter. He's a listener of the show. And he gave me some feedback. And Joe's going to have to try and keep me honest tonight. <laughs> The idea is I've got to stop saying so many ums and ahs <laughs> and you knows. So that's that's my challenge from Uncle Bill down uh, down under down under Hi. listening from Australia. We don't have an Uncle Bill. He's he, he's 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 adopted us, and he says to you, "Say hi to Lauren. She always does such a great job. Send love." from Uncle Bill. So if you want to say thank you to Uncle Bill and for the rest of the episode, Daddy's got to try his best to stop saying um and ah and like, you know. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You're the real star of the show though, Lauren. Thank you for (laughs) killing it all the time. (laughs) Thank you. Do you want to say goodnight to Joe? Bye and goodnight and good afternoon. (laughs) Hey, you too. Sleep good. Thank you very much. So, you are clearly a lot younger than myself. Just a little bit. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> Steady on the cheek. Uh, let's, uh, you, you, from, from what I'm guessing, you're, you know, I just said it, you know, you're around your young 20s. Yeah, tw- 26. Okay. How does a 26-year-old that has done all the right things up until this point, you've landed the gig, you've gone to clearly one of the biggest companies, as, as you've said, I'm guessing Silicon Valley way, living the dream to this sucks. Oh man, you know, it's one of those things that it, a lot of it had to do with the Bitcoin rabbit hole. If, you, if we're going to be honest, like, and the moment that I really came to the realization that I value my own happiness more than anything else, really, at the end of the day, I was listening to a Bitcoin podcast. I think it was Marty Bent, Tales from the Crypt. And he had on, is it like Mahir Mosmadov? I can't, I can't pronounce his name, but he's like, the, this book will save you time. And that was one of the big breakthroughs for me, like that about how your time is so scarce. And like, I understand scarcity so well because you have to, to be, once you go this far down the rabbit hole, but once you value your time as the most scarce asset, when you sell that to someone else at the same time where they're kind of stealing some of your soul because of how shitty the work is or the environment or, um, what, yeah, that's what it all came to. And a big part of it was I got a, 
my my job, like I said earlier when we were talking, that I'd had like five bosses and four different job titles in about a year and a half. And the last one, they moved me from my, I'm an engineer naturally. I'm a math guy, um, physics, all that kind of stuff. And I got moved into a job where I called up people and I like yelled at them to hit their revenue numbers and would like try to, and if it came to it, I would have to like steal work from people and I would do all this crappy stuff. And I would, I talked to my boss and I was like, I just don't feel comfortable being like a coyote out here, just like scavenging these jobs to try to pull in an extra dollar or whatever. And she's like, well, you, it is what it is. You're a coyote. And I just couldn't accept that really at, along with the whole, um, time is your scarcest resource thing. You know, were you already into Bitcoin at what stage? Did you find it or did yeah. it find you? Yeah, Let, let's, let's clarify that for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. I think us. it's important to back it up a little bit. So uh, I did the whole college route. As you know, I got the mechanical engineering degree, got the job right out of college, making pretty good money like for a kid right out of school. Um, I had some student debt, but my parents helped me quite a bit because I'm still really tight with them. I've been living with them the last couple months. Um, so I got a job right out of college college in my college town, Bozeman, Montana, shout out, awesome town. Um, so then I got a job right out of school, which is kind of everyone's dream is to get the mechanic, getting an engineering job. Cause it's a in, really big engineering school, getting an engineering job in town right after school. It's like one of the biggest goals. And I, and I got that. So that was awesome. I worked there for a while, um, started paying off my student debt because I didn't understand money then. So I was like, oh, I don't, I want to pay off my student debt aggressively, not understanding that I should have bought Bitcoin or Apple stock or something, you know, but anyway, paid off my debt aggressively. And then like all people, I mean, people that start to get into a career, you start getting 401ks, you know, and like you start thinking about wealth, like preserving wealth, making wealth, um, all that stuff. So it brought me down the stocks rabbit hole, I'm like, I want to make gains, obviously. I want the moon soon Lambo. So I got into weed stocks. <laughs> you know, just like all the kids did or whatever. But um, then it took me a while. Then it, I figured out the... I actually lived with a guy that was a um, cryptocurrency guy. He was a shit coiner, let's be honest. Like, <laughs> like the Dogecoin kind of guy. But anyway, he started getting me thinking about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin or whatever. And right at that same time, it was the 20K run. So that's when I was like, all right, well, there's something going on here, but I'm not going to buy right now because it's $20,000. Like, I don't even have any money, really. I just paid off all my student debt. But yeah, then I just started going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole from there. And I mean, let's be honest, it was a lot of the uh, cryptocurrency rabbit hole because... I think cryptocurrency as a whole is a lot easier pitch to sell someone that doesn't understand versus like, we're going to make all new money for the world. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I, I think Bitcoin's actually way harder to understand than like XRP is the standard, like stupid shit. It, sorry for my language if it's not allowed. But <laughs> no, no, that's fine. You, you can bring, bring the noise. Okay. Yeah. So... I went down the shitcoin rabbit hole, but really it, it took me a while to make it to the uh, the true edge of the Bitcoin like black hole. Like when I when you cross the event horizon and then once you look back, like once you get over it, you can't really see unsee it, you know, <laughs> like 
that that took a while. That took me understanding macroeconomics, like monetary history, um, all that stuff before I really, really grasped what it meant. It's such a familiar story for for so many of us, uh, you know, and and so many people that I've interviewed. That that first touch point is is critical and. Definitely. It'd be so nice if everybody just found Bitcoin straight away, but very, very few of us do. For me, it was Bitcoin was my first touch point, but then that got me thinking into, and I'll show myself, uh, Dash and Ethereum and Litecoin. And since going through that journey and those ups and downs and trying to get your head around like, okay, so what are these guys doing and what are these guys doing? And I think for me, coming from a legacy financial system, when you invest in a stock, you research, right? Yeah. You research, but number one, who's the CEO? Who's running this thing? You just, we, we were Definitely. so used to having that um, centralized uh, figure of power that Bitcoin didn't have and was still, which is obviously its greatest asset, but that's so hard to grasp. It's so yeah. damn difficult. The word, the word I was looking for is a uh, paradigm shift because in the traditional world, you want a strong CEO with a clear narrative, clear vision. There is no like argument among like where you're going, where in the decentralized world, that's actually a con, a huge con. It's a weak point. Like, um, like central, Centralizing things adds to efficiency, but it makes it much less anti-fragile. And really, if we're talking about rebuilding the base layer of the entire financial system, anti-fragility has to be the number one concern and our number one focus. And because that's that's where I really land on this whole thing. Like, I don't. It's not that other projects aren't doing cool things, but it's just all about risk return and. Bitcoin, in my opinion, is by far and away the best chance of being the money. Like the money, it's a winner-take-all thing. That that's that also takes a long time to understand that money is what money is a winner-take-all kind of thing, and that's just how it is throughout history. And it helps with economic flow. You know, like how do you price things if there's like, you know what I'm saying? Like all these different currencies. Like it helps having one base unit, and then you can build on top of that, you know, like the whole rest of the financial system. Like I, I envision eventually Apple stock will be priced in Bitcoin. Their revenue flows are going to be in Bitcoin. Like their rainy day fund is going to be in Bitcoin. But that doesn't mean Apple stock itself won't be a valuable financial instrument or um, whatever else, really. I, it, it's just about how long it takes to get to that vision, you know, like... I think it's inevitable, kind of, at this point. That might be yes. a little arrogant, but... Well, I've come to the same conclusion. It, it, it is inevitable, but you just cannot guess the timeline. And it yeah, could it's... be multiple decades. Who knows? But it, the crazy me... part is tech is um, exponential. So, like, just because it takes 10 years to get to 50% doesn't mean it can't get the other 50% in two years. It was like, I think I was listening to an interview with you and the guy was like, uh, there's a lily pond and it doubles 
every it starts with one lily and then it turns into two and after like 200 days it's 50 percent full how long does it till it gets totally full and it's just one more day like no, I'm, i think that was jeff booth yeah probably that guy is such a legend oh my god like <laughs> and his folding paper analogy as well to, oh gosh to, that, to the that one was a big wake-up call for me and like really because i'm a total math guy like i've been a math dude since day one really and that one really uh, put it put it home for me to really understand what technology does and how like this whole inflation deflation battle is kind of silly because like tech is naturally deflationary and fiat money is naturally inflationary. Tech works on exponential curves. Fiat currency, I mean, balance sheet wise, the Fed looks like it's working on exponential curves as well. But usually it's more like linear curves. So, I mean, which one's going to win? Exponential curves. Like, um, yeah, it, it's a crazy world we're in now, man. I, I've been wanting to ask you, I haven't heard many people talk about it, of what's your point of view working in the foreign currency market for so long? And now you, you're all about Bitcoin, which is like the, uh, it's like the ultimate disruptor of your uh, field that you mastered or whatever you want to say. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to think that I spent 17 or 18 years in that in that business and not once did the thought cross my mind what is money right and it's totally. like oh my god and now I have this far greater understanding of macroeconomics and you know currency wars and what's going on and I can think back and look back and and join so many more dots than when I was actually sitting there. But when you're sitting there in that seat, you're just fighting the fight. You're spinning totally. plates. You're putting out fires. Orders are coming in left, right, and center. And you have no idea. I was an execution monkey at the end of the day. I was a, I was a broker. So I you're wasn't a, a trader. Of, yeah, you were a piece of an economic system. Like you just, mm -hmm. you just work your gear. It's not like you're... But one thing I was wondering, I heard that... Does the FX market settle five trillion a day? Does that sound about right? Is that, it's the is that, biggest. It, yeah, it, it far far eclipses the uh, the equity market. And yeah, yeah, it could. Be, I don't know the exact figures, but I had uh, an ex. Well, he's an ex client, but still a very very good friend, James Drage. If you go back and listen to his episode, he was. Uh, I was on one side of. I was his broker, so he was a mm. trader. So he would be taking, he would be putting on positions to manage risk for the bank he was working for. But at the same time, behind him, he had a whole sales desk that were asking him for prices and he would be putting on those positions as well. Then he would come to me as the broker, like you say, just a tiny cog in this machine. And to all of us, it was just numbers. And goodness knows where this money we, we all had this. That's what I was just thinking. I was literally right. thinking that exact thing. Like how m much of this is just like, I, I, who even, if it's got 5 trillion a day in volume, which I totally believe, like what is happening in there? Like, <laughs> like what, is this like leaders? <laughs> like, I mean, a lot of leaders have to like maintain their currency pegs. There's all sorts of crazy game theory that like, that makes up that $5 trillion of volume. It's it's just a crazy market. And the fact that 
that can all be displaced by Bitcoin. Like, incredible. I, yeah, no, I, I think a lot of people get a little too like fixated on like the Bitcoin versus Ethereum, even though I think Ethereum's a dumpster fire. Let's just be honest here. Um, I think a little think people get a little too too worked up on it because I think Bitcoin is its own thing at this point. Like it is the foundation of the financial system. In my opinion, it's the future of the financial system and the foundation. I want that riskier, crazier, more stuff being built on top of it. I'd rather just leave the Bitcoin base layer like how it is, you know, like I don't want to, I think it works perfectly fine as like a settlement tool for the financial system. But yeah, um, yeah, but I, I get why people don't like Ethereum because it's pretty damn scammy if you ask me. Like, it's kind of like the narrative changes and stuff, you know, like there's so many different narratives that um, dominate why Ethereum is valuable at a given time. But at the end of the day, it's gas for a dysfunctional network. Like, it, it, it's crazy. But yes, steer clear, listeners, steer clear. I want to yeah, ask agree, you about. Agree. I want to ask you about your like your friends and your age group, your generation, because I'm sure there's many of your your college friends kind of went through the same ordeal as yourself. Left, got the job, whether it was in your hometown or left and went elsewhere. Started looking at um, stores of value or protecting wealth or trying to save. How many of them have come to the same conclusion that you have? Or are you kind of like the one guy <laughs> that well, is annoying everyone down at the bar? Well, I don't know. I mean, I've got a pretty like tight knit like friend group. You know, I'd, I'd rather prefer like quality over quantity. So the people that I'm really close with, um, I feel like I've gotten most of them into Bitcoin. So <laughs> like all my friend groups, like they just kind of listen to me and they're like, okay, that sounds good. Like I'll buy some micro strategies. Like that's what my got. I shielded my cousin on that this weekend. I was like, you can get, you can buy into micro strategies and worst case you get a software company that's kicking off 30 million a year in profit. Best case, the Bitcoin becomes such a large portion of the market cap that it becomes virtually a Bitcoin ETF. And then you actually get a premium above that because it's the first Bitcoin ETF or one of the best functioning Bitcoin ETFs in the world. And then he just got sold on that. He's like, that's, that's amazing. Like, because, uh, I, I come from kind of the crazy point of view where like most of my net worth is in like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So like, if I need to get up and move, I've got no problem. <laughs> like where he's got a family, a house, a kid, all that stuff. So I'm like, if you'd, like you don't gain that much value from the mobility of it, but because um, you're kind of stuck here in, in America, then you can buy micro strategies. So it's still in the financial system. It's really easy for tax reasons. Like um, E-Trade will just make your tax documents for you. So yeah, and then a lot of my other friends, I've just, I'll get them, I'll get them hooked up with ledgers, tell them to buy Bitcoin, teach him how to put it onto their cold storage. My dad has his own ledger with cold storage. My girlfriend does. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm trying to help out as many people as I can. Sounds like you're doing a great job. Hey, I, I'm, a- doing, I'm doing my best, man. I'm all about um, just not your keys, not your coins, like um, personal sovereignty and like all that stuff, like truly owning your wealth. I think that's a big deal. 
and it's yeah, it's the right it's the right direction. I'm trying to push as many people to as possible. What books and stuff were you reading? <laughs> I know you. I know you've ca- you've shouted out Marty and Mahir yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. But there's so, more. There's definitely yeah. more to this. Like you, you, you are layers deep for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, at this point, I, the last couple of months, I've just been chilling for the most part. Like it's been fantastic. I I grinded. Like I, I right out of college, I got a job. Went straight to California, worked the big boy job. You know, did all that, saved a bunch of money, bought a ton of Bitcoin. Um. <laughs> and then lately I've just been watching, I listen to Tales from the Crypt, Real Vision. I love NLW's breakdown. He's amazing. Um, God, the list goes on. Peter McCormick, I listen to a ton of your podcasts. Um, I mean, Raul Powell is one of my, uh, it, he, he's one of the main reasons that I ever got down this far down the rabbit hole. Like he's my macro uh, messiah i'd call him <laughs> like um i mean i was way more bullish bitcoin before he was but him going all in and like making like writing the stuff like i think was it in december or january he posted that um link to everyone about his current like point of view on the world and at the very end he's just like bitcoin's the move i i got so bullish dude it's not even funny <laughs> I remember that piece. I definitely remember that piece. And that's when I started my podcast. And yeah, that was, and and I had the same experience. If it was real vision that, which is, which is crazy. I was talking to Grant Williams just the other night. So Grant Williams will, his episode will, will drop just before uh, this one. And he was the co-founder of real vision with Raul. And it's crazy to think like, these guys started this this macro brilliant platform to help people understand. And at this point, I'd already been in financial markets probably 13 or 14 years. And within two videos, I think I'd learned more watching those videos than I had my whole career. Like, no what doubt. is this? Nothing. And then, oh, sorry. <clears throat> go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say nothing threw me down the macro rabbit hole more than his retirement crisis video. Once right. once I heard that and I like really started understanding what macro econ is and like zooming out the 3000 foot view looking at the whole puzzle instead of just like individual pieces. That that was one of the key moments to getting really into bitcoin and understanding what it is and how it can change the world. The, what what what, Murray, what worries me is that I cannot wake up enough boomers in time. <laughs> but you've already got you, your parents on board by the sound of things. And that is incredible because it's a real, it's happening in the UK. I don't know how much you see it in the US, but there's this whole narrative that's been trying to divide generations, you know, divide and conquer is on all fronts. We're under attack. It's crazy. And especially in the UK, like the whole Brexit ordeal, unbelievable. Sure. Watching that as an outsider, you know, with, with friends and family that, obviously I hold dear to my heart that still live in the country and just seeing them get divided by these arguments is just like, oh my God, you guys, please, you don't see what I see and this is just nonsense. Like you're being played and the the generational divide really worries me because now you've got millennials in the UK are being poisoned to think 
that the boomers have stolen all of the wealth and they're all just going to die rich and they're going to get nothing and that's going to be the end of pensions because they're all going to go bust. And then you have boomers being taught that millennials are this entitled bunch of lazy layabouts that don't even want a job even if they were out there. It's just filth. Oh, I agree, Is man. the same happening in the US? Oh, to- I mean, I think it's the same everywhere. And, and I mean, to be honest, I think the Fed created it. I know that's kind of what everybody blames everything on in the Bitcoin world. But I mean, it's just such a structural issue around the whole world. Like it can't be any one country or any one politician or any one decision. You got to look at what the intertwining thing is. And it's that people can't store wealth throughout time. And how is that? That is that degrades family structures because that's the original purpose of money is an ability to pass down wealth throughout generations. I think a lot of people get fixated on the aspect of money of transporting it through space, but I think transporting through time is actually the much harder thing to figure out. That's why when people get all fixated on like XRP can do um, this many transactions per second, it's this fast settlement time, it caught blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, you can transfer quote unquote money throughout space. How the hell are you going to make this value transfer through time? And that's the tough part. And that's what I think Bitcoin figured out. And I think it will help build family structures from the ground up. But dude, this might just be a lost generation unless like... But I have a lot of hope for like the fourth turning and um, yeah, I have a lot of hope. Like a lot of people say this throughout the community, but it'd be really hard for me to be hopeful without Bitcoin from somebody that doesn't understand or isn't down the rabbit hole. They think I sound crazy when I say that, but <laughs> um, it's key. It's, it's key to the, to the next steps for humanity and for our cultures and stuff, becoming a world instead of a bunch of countries ran by individual monkeys that's not the best idea in my opinion (laughs) (laughs) it it just how many hundreds of years are going to pass by before people look back and think how how did that ever become to pass you know like the the nation states less than 50 (laughs) everyone's going to think this 2020 hindsight is not 2020 like (laughs) we need a new phrase because um I guess maybe actually hindsight is 2020 would work there. Never mind. Um, everyone will know we were nuts and the system was nuts. But hey, at least we're the we're the people trying to shill Bitcoin to like get get our friends and family through this stage because there will be a tomorrow. Like there's always going to be a tomorrow. And if you don't have that, if you don't think like that, then you're a nihilist and like how are you supposed to move forward? Like it's all about making tomorrow better. Don't dwell on what yesterday was. But it's hard, man. I don't. <laughs> I feel a lot. I feel bad for a lot of people in my generation, though. Like the people that got sold the dream that you have to go to college in America. You know, you you know what the prices are like. You've heard. Um, it just it it was an economic lie, and it was an economic misallocation of capital through debt financing, and a lot of that was sustained through governments um, subsidizing and influencing the debt markets, because. Like I was telling my girlfriend, uh, who's a law student, there's no reason that like a um, all-star level, like MIT mathematician should be getting the same interest rate as someone that's going for like a um, poli-sci degree at some tiny college, you know, like there's no, there's no free market in the, in the debt markets at all. It's all just manipulated as hell. 
So I, I kind of yeah. just went on a tangent there, but <laughs> no, that no, that's a good tangent because again, it's it, it's your generation that I'm really really interested in to to when I think about the future and the escape hatch that's open, you know, with the great big orange B sign on mm-hmm. on the the underside of the door, and I just want as many people to run for it as for possible. Sure. I have faith in in number go up technology. (laughs) Number go up technology is the number one driver of adoption. And that's built into the Bitcoin um, algorithm or Bitcoin uh, block monetary policy, I think is the proper term. Um, So once this starts pumping, you have a good feeling for the fact that many of your your age group, your generation are just going to sit up, take notice and start figuring this out and getting in because it is easy yeah. now, right? That there's so many yeah, more totally. on ramps. There's it, so many more companies where you, it is literally just a click, click of a button on a few apps. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people doing some amazing stuff like all around, like um, I'm a big fan of, uh, what they're doing at Swan. I love Swan Signal, all that stuff. That's that's great. I love the idea of DCAing. It's perfect, um, especially DCA straight to cold storage. That just naturally causes short squeezes after time of people that are fractional reserving. Or it's like over time, if you get a slow enough DCA drip from real people, it doesn't matter who's trying to manipulate the market. The real Bitcoin are going to cold storage. So like eventually you're going to get short squeezed. So that that's what I think people don't understand when they say like, these leverage places like kill Bitcoin's ability to like moon because people can just short the hell out of it. They're not thinking about naked shorts and short squeezes and the other side. Like um, it's just a way of like tampering volatility. But if you tamper volatility, it leads to hyper volatility. And that's just how it is. So that's what I'm expecting. Like I think there's a lot of people that are short and naked short and are rehypothecating Bitcoin right now. And they're going to get eaten up. And people are going to lose money. Like people like in BlockFi, people that are like per- choosing to rehypothecate their Bitcoin for a 7% yield in USD shit coins. Some of them are going to get burnt. And I think it's actually good for the ecosystem. <laughs> like um, you can't just pretend like you can fractional reserve a finite supply currency. With, like it's not going to work. <laughs> so well put. And again, it's just blowing my mind that you're so young and you're seeing this. It's just it, it gives me so much hope that there's many more people out you out there of your age figuring this out. Now you mentioned the fourth turning. Did, have you read the book? No, I haven't. But um, I've looked into it a lot. I understand it. I know what's going. On. I mean, I should read it. It's like the one of the Bitcoin Bibles, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I there should. are some out there that rag on it, which, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but there is, at the end of the book, I find the most interesting, there's a script for each generation. And it's just really worth, I don't know whether you can find it on a PDF maybe, but it's really I know exactly what you're look. talking about. Right. Have yeah, you seen like, it? Yeah, the hero archetype. And the, yep. um, yeah, like I was talking about, I explained this to my girlfriend, like, I see the cycles as like, you can envision it like a plane that's like flying throughout the sky. And like right before the fourth turning, this generation is nosediving to the cliff. It is going to blow up. Anybody who that is predicting five years out and is being honest sees it's going to blow up and you're going to hit the cliff. But you need that hero archetype to step in, 
kick over the boomer and take the wheel and steer up in that that steer up there's a lot of acceleration there's a lot of force there's a lot of change going on and um yeah so that's the fourth turning the the, the hero archetype needs to kick the boomer out of the steering wheel and go but i think this time bitcoin is what's going to kick the like the bitcoin is a tool that the millennials will use to take over the jet and and flip it up and i think it'll be painful in the short term that's going to be a lot of acceleration a lot of change but on the backside we're going to miss the mountain and be flying upwards and the next 20 to 40 years i'm i'm very optimistic it'll get better a lot better actually the best ever yeah but like um, amazing times ahead yeah, I mean, I I totally believe in the idea of deflation. Oh, speaking of, I got to ask you: Did you see that inflation video with the IMF that they posted recently? Yes. Yes. Dude, how funny is it that they chose chairs? And Pierre Richard's just been shitting on chairs for a while. That is, yeah, that I, is so I, I funny know, to me. I I can't believe how that's all come about. It's just why chairs? Why did they choose chairs? <laughs> It's so funny. I showed my girlfriend this morning and at the very end, she's like, and with low and stable inflation, now I can afford a really nice chair. My girlfriend's like, what does that have to do with affording chairs? (laughs) Like, What is low and stable inflation? I was like that. What she really means by that is that money's cheap so she can use a credit card and buy what she can't afford. So now she can have a chair. Like that's what, that's what she means. But I showed my wife this morning, same thing. I showed my wife and she was just like, what the hell are they talking about? This is just ridiculous. I'm like, never mind all of that. Never mind all of that. Start scrolling down and looking at all the Bitcoin or comments underneath. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I, I it's hilarious. I was telling my girlfriend, got- I'm like, yeah, like this is what, this is the team that we're up against. Like our team mm-hmm. has freaking Robert Breedlove, Jeff Booth, you. I mean, there's just studs all around, just brilliant intellectuals. And we're up against chair, like you need prices on chairs to go up so you can buy chairs. That's who we're going against. Like, it's freaking inevitable, dude. <laughs> like, it's, it's just a matter of time. <laughs> absolutely amazing. And, and seeing Bitcoin Twitter take down the IMF just so quickly and brilliantly and hilariously. I hope all the normies out there were, were watching. But the, the ECB do the same. Do you follow the uh, ECB account? I, I I think I've seen stuff from them. It's, it's oh just God. ridiculous. It's the man. best. It, it everybody is a, listening, everybody listening, you have to follow at ECB because sometimes they do these like ask me anything things. And as soon as a Bitcoiner gets a sniff of it, they are just bam. Just oh, I have seen questions. those. They post anything, and like the first five hundred comments are all like "stack sats, be humble, ECB." Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it, man. Even um, when uh, Lagarde comes on, as soon as Lagarde releases some kind of statement or video or whatever, then bam! Like the first hundred comments, it takes seconds, and Bitcoin Twitter is all over it. It amazes me they keep. I you know I can't I can't actually imagine the whoever holds the social media account at the ECB is either pulling their hair out or laughing their tits off every <laughs> single time. There's, there can't be anything in the middle because it's just brilliant. Yeah, how does the saying go? Like first they laugh at you and then they fight you and then they join you. 
Like I'm sure the yep. ECV is going to be pandering for sats on the side of the road at some point, but uh, I'm not going to give who him isn't? for sure. <laughs> right? Who, yeah, I want. Who isn't? I, I've been wanting to ask um, your opinion or a European's opinion in general. What What do you think is the state of the EU? Part of me thinks that this thing is like really like within 24 months we could have multiple currencies within the EU. Or am I crazy for thinking that? No, you're not crazy at all. This has been a narrative for a long time. Actually, Real Vision have, uh, covered this a few times, right? The the single yeah. currency and yeah. how it doesn't work, man. Because like, no, they have different they have different debt markets. Like, how can right. you have one currency with different debt markets? Like, that is totally unsustainable. Like, that's uh, if you're going to do a single currency, I've got one for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Except for you can't print that one, so that's a bummer. Um, for the that's all they can, right? That's that's the problem. You know, the, their answer is staring them in the face. They're like, oh, great. Let's just do Bitcoin. But then, oh, wait, you, we can't manipulate it? Yeah, okay, right. cross, that, cross that out then. Yeah, when we can't, we can't steal it from people very efficiently? Well, that sucks. Like, yeah, cross uh, that out. I forgot one of the OGs of one of my, one of my favorite um, people I've learned from a lot is uh, George Gammon. You ever listen to George mm-hmm. Gammon? I've seen a few of his, and he was on the Swan Signal as well yep. recently, wasn't he? Yeah. With, oh, I'm doing a disservice to who was he on with? Oh, Safe. Oh, yeah, you're right. He's on yeah. with Safe. That was yeah. a good one. Yeah, he awesome. um, he's a legend. I, I think what a lot of people don't understand is just how insolvent our drunk Uncle Sam is. Like, <laughs> our drunk Uncle Sam is totally insolvent. Like, there's, like the definition of insolvency is cash flow problems. You know, like if you have more coming out than coming in and you have no, nothing in the bank, you're insolvent. What, what is the gut? What's the U S government? What's the EC? Like, what's all these governments? Like they have a cash flow, they have a cash flow problem and they have nothing in the bank and they actually have massive debts. Every single government in the world's insolvent. And it's just a matter of time before economic reality bites them in the ass. And like, throughout history that's been on a very it hasn't been on the global scale because gold was the money and everybody like if you had gold you technically were some sort of solvent um but as, as far as like fiat shit coins go everyone's insolvent so um yeah i don't, I don't know how it's going to end but they're going to wish they were stacking sats while they could still print value i know that for sure yeah i do not know where this goes. And, you know, Jeff's talked about this before. Jeff Booth is going to get very ugly very quickly when it does start to unravel because it has to unravel. You can't just, you can't just keep this party going. Yeah. It's impossible. So one thing that when it, Oh, sorry, go ahead. And I was just going to say, when it does, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of pain. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm just enjoying going down the rabbit hole. Not often do you, in like the normal world, are you able to find someone that can really dive deep down with you, you know, like dig into new areas of the rabbit hole you haven't even like been through yet. Like it's really. Are there no meetups where you are? Do you you have a good community there that you can go find people and hang out? Because right here, I'm dying. Yeah, I feel you, man. I'm I'm going to be moving back down to Orange County soon, so I'm sure I'll be able to join the uh, or go to some Orange County meetups down there. Um, but for now, no. I mean, I just I just spend all day just trying to learn, man. Like that's what's really cool about the day and age we have now. Like in any other time in history, if I was just like a, 
a dude that's 26, like staying at his parents' house, I'd be doing nothing. But now like every day I literally just like try to learn as much as I can. And yeah, that was part of the reason why I hit you up too. I feel like I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm knowledgeable enough. I really want to like spread my wings and try to like be a, be a voice out there in the Bitcoin community. Yeah. Good for you, man. And thank you so much for, for reaching out. That was, that was brilliant to, to know that people are listening to the show and getting some value from the, from the guests that are coming on is, is brilliant. So appreciate the feedback. Oh yeah, dude. I love your podcast. I li- I've listened to pretty much everyone. So <laughs> most of them, I, I listen to a shitload of podcasts. So. <laughs> do you want to give any more shout outs for those people that, mm. uh, that you might have missed already? Man, you know, I, there's just, there's so many good people in this space, man. I feel like, um, I don't need to narrow it down anymore, but there's just, there's just studs all over the place. I think Robert Breedlove is obviously just like the, the number zero in Bitcoin as a math guy re- was huge for me, dude. Like th- that was so crazy for me to realize that zero was actually like, um, I guess you'd call it, uh, innovation maybe because it was, you, they didn't invent zero, but they found it or whatever. Um, that was big for me. I, I think plan B is amazing. Also as a math guy, I really, um, I, I really liked the idea of isolate or like figuring out, um, just like what drives Bitcoin's value. Like I, like we all knew it was scarcity but we didn't really like, we weren't able to quantify it, you know, like, um, like if he's right or wrong, I feel like that's pretty irrelevant at this point. Like it's cool if he nails it. And if it goes to the upside, awesome. If it doesn't go to, if it doesn't match it, like who cares? I just think it was really cool to just like, I've been, I've been telling a lot of people that around me like this, uh, or trying to teach them things that like, I, I use the example of air a lot where, if you're above ground, like air is still very valuable to humans. Like we need it like every second to live, but it has no economic value from human to human. Why is that? Because it's incredibly abundant. Where if you go underwater and you want to scuba dive, you have to pay for that air because it's not abundant. And that kind of brings me to the conclusion that the only driver in human to human economic value is scarcity for the most part. And usefulness is like almost irrelevant when you try to figure out how valuable something is. Like why is a Mona Lisa so valuable? It's not because it's useful. It's because it's so scarce and desired, you know, like as long as something can have a sufficient demand, the scarcer it is, the more value it is human to human economic exchange, which I, which I thought was a really interesting concept. And how's that going when you, when you pitch that to people, are they, are they, because people people tell me all the time, oh, Bitcoin's so I don't understand finance. You know, you're the finance guy. You, you're lucky. You you worked in it. You understand it. I'm never going to understand. I've never been good with money. All of these excuses when I'm trying to tell friends and family. Yeah. But for so me, once you get to a certain point, Bitcoin is intuition. Yeah. I mean, Austrian economics that? is intuition. Right. Like. Trying to convince yourself Keynesianism makes sense is the Rube Goldberg machine. Like convincing yourself Austrian economics makes sense is like waking up and like being hungry. Like that you can you know it exists. Like then like there is no debate. There is it doesn't matter what the textbooks say. Like the scarcity of food is it yeah, I don't know. Another thing that I thought was interesting 
So you, one more key factor that you need to have human-to-human -human economic exchange value is an abundance and differential, like, sorry, a differential in abundance. So like we need to have a different amount of that good or like so one of us needs to have a stockpile because if we both had like an infinite amount or the same amount, then it wouldn't, we wouldn't have the economic exchange, you know? Like the reason why gold has value is because a couple people in the world own gold mines. Like, um, I, I don't know. It, it, I, I just thought that was one more important thing to add to like human to human economic value. So when you're pitching this to your friends, how's that oh, going? Yeah, oh, they yeah. understand? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're um, they, they getting that? You know, I, I've got one buddy that I talk about it with all the time. He's a, he's a really smart, he's got, a, he's an entrepreneur. He's got his own business. Um, he, I got him stacking sats, got everything on his ledger, all that stuff. Um, we were talking about this and he was like, well, what about like a VCR? Like if someone, if VCRs are so scarce right now because there's nobody that has them, like, why aren't they valuable? And I was like, well, if the demand comes then the VCR manufacturers or like the technologist, they'll all whip up a manufacturing facility for VCRs and can instantly quell that demand and absorb all the arbitrage and value. Where with something like Bitcoin, there's no such thing. Like the supply is independent of the demand. So there is no such thing as ramping up Bitcoin production without, like, you know what I'm saying? So, so I think... I, I don't think it's easy to get people to understand this stuff, man. Like, it, you gotta you you gotta go so deep down the rabbit hole. Like, <laughs> my my goal isn't to get everyone to understand it. My goal is to get them to buy Bitcoin and put it on their hardware wallet and keep their passphrase safe, and they get the job done, and they get the same value as I do. And I don't even care if they're able to shill someone else. Like, they don't need to. Like. <laughs> It's all about just growing the hodler base one at a time and trying to like teach people the truth, really. That's it. That's the key. Growing the hodler base one at a time. And that is why I love like the DCA companies that are coming in. For and sure. now we've got, you, you mentioned earlier in the show, MicroStrategy yeah. and Michael Saylor. Like, you know, that, that day you wake up and you realize the biggest whale in the market is on your side. Dude, that was a crazy day. It, that whole story's nuts, man. I mean, mm -hmm. I, th I mean, I'm pretty damn bullish. Like anybody who talks to me thinks I'm a total moon boy, <laughs> but I wasn't expecting that yet. Like, no way. Like, that's why I think this this stuff grows on exponential curves, man. And humans don't understand exponential curves because they don't really occur in nature really all that often. Besides, like hurricanes and we still don't understand how hurricanes go through exponential curves that's the one thing we don't understand when a hurricane intensifies quickly overnight we have no idea how it happened like because we don't understand exponential curves so i think that's why it's going to happen faster than anyone thinks really uh like my price prediction is i think in this having cycle we're in right now we're going to break uh plan b's 288k to the upside by one to four x i think as high as we go is a million unless we reach total escape velocity. And then the next cycle, I think it's done. I, I think fiat's going to be trashed. So oh, wow. within eight years, I think, I think most fiat currencies are going to be virtually worthless. I don't know if that means US dollars worthless. I doubt it. But um, yeah, one Bitcoin is going to be worth a lot of dollars in 10 years. Like I'm looking five, 10 million. I remember having uh, Gigi on the show 
very, very early when I started the podcast. And this was before the halving. And he said, you know, just look out for next century. Uh, sorry, excuse me, next decade. And here we are, 2020 yeah. halving, 2024 halving, 2028 halving, three halvings in this right. decade. Yeah. Part of me thinks that everything just worked out too good. Like, you know, like something makes me think that like Bitcoin is something like different, like that we don't even really understand at this point. Like its ability to like reprogram humans' actions and make them change how they think and act and behave. And that like, it, it's incredible. I don't what know. What have you changed? Oh, like personally. Oh man. What, what, what? Yeah, oh God, you got a list? Hang on. Oh gosh. <laughs> I, I just think it like changed me so fundamentally that it's like, it's almost like I can view myself as like my pre Bitcoin, like my pre down the rabbit hole and post down the rabbit hole. Like I kind of like, so you clearly quit your job because of Bitcoin. Can you no, pin that on no, it? No, I, I wouldn't say that. If I, if I loved my no? job and I, and like, I wasn't being treated like shit, I wouldn't have quit. I would have just kept stacking sats. Right. But, um, I just wasn't really in, I was not enjoying it and it wasn't making me happy. And I value my happiness so much. Like, I've already got like plenty of Bitcoin. Like <laughs> I, this, this last six months was about like me and just like um, being happy. Um, yeah. And just having a good time. And it also helps that my girlfriend is about to finish law school and has a job making really big money in a big law firm. So um, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> More sets. But like when you, when you turn, when you've quit your job, what would, what was your parents' reaction? Because this is, I think, something that we don't talk about enough. This is their dream as well as your dream, right? This totally. is this is the whole big picture because they've still got to face their family and friends. And I went through this myself. You know, I, I gave up my career 36, 37. And that was, you're doing what? Yeah, no, like, I mean, I, I felt that inside. You know, right. like I was thinking okay. about myself, like, do like, what are you doing? Like, you already got a good job. You got a company car with gas paper. You got, you got all this stuff. But, um, I think, I think my parents understood my point of view that my ha I value my happiness more than anything else. And my parents are amazing and loving people and we're really close. So it, it's been really easy, honestly. Like, and the other thing is my, my, um, my skill set is I, I can most likely get a job pretty easily. Like maybe it won't be making bank, but I can make like an, a, like an above average income in virtually any city in the country because my education and my work experience and stuff. So that, that was another part of it that I felt good about. But to be honest, I would love to start getting into figuring out a way to make money from the Bitcoin space and just kind of like go all in on it. You know, like it's, it's my passion. Like I love this shit. <laughs> Okay, so how how's it how's it changed you personally? Mm. Have you noticed any of the? I know John Vallis gets he he loves this stuff. Yeah, and I mean, an example from my my end, I'm almost one year now of going to the gym every morning, and I did never ever ever do that, or ever thought I would that thought would ever cross my mind. But here we are, and yeah, it's Bitcoin that's done that. Guarantee that's awesome. you, Bitcoin has done that's that. That's so awesome because it gives me so much 
hope for the future. I want to be around as long as possible. Totally. That's big. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it really helped my like hope in not being as nihilistic about the world. Like that, that's really big to me. Like that was a big changing point of, I thought kind of like we're fucked. Like I'm, I'm just going to be a peasant the rest of my life. Like I need to just get used to it. That, that kind of attitude, you know, I think a lot of people in America feel that like, yeah, we might live in the most prosperous, prosperous country the world's ever seen, but at the same time, like to really escape out of the like work nine to five pit, like that's not something everyone can do. Like that, there's a lot of people that can't do that. So it was really nice to have the hope of like, I can, I can break above like, and another thing is it really made me fall in love with learning again. And I think that's the most important thing that it changed out of everything. Um, I just didn't have that same vigor to like learn every day about this stuff. And if you really want to understand Bitcoin, it takes over 10,000 hours of learning. Like you, and, and after that 10,000 hours, you're like, I think I get it, but I still learn new shit every day. So obviously I don't get it. Like I don't fully get it. So that, that was a really big change for me. I, I, that was cool. It's great to hear you say that. Finding the love of learning again, I've definitely felt that. And I, I've said it, like, if I, I must have said it hundreds of times. This is what institutional school generally does to us so well is to beat that love of learning out of us. Dude, no one has made me like seriously consider taking my kids out of public schools. I mean, I felt I felt it before listening to a bunch of your podcasts, but after listening to them, hearing Lauren talk about her schooling and stuff, I brought it up with my girlfriend and I'm like, you got to convince me to not homeschool our kids at this point because it's just too good. Like the one thing I really am, like, I feel like, our modern schooling system is you take a, you take a, there's a group of animals. You got a fish, a bear, a cheetah, whatever. And you make them all do the same skills and you tell, Hey fish, climb the tree. Like that fish is going to think it's an idiot and it's useless. And that's just wrong because it's not, it's not an idiot and it's not useless. And it just needs to do what it's good at. And it needs to do what makes it happy. So that, that's one of the number one things where I, I'm definitely going to push my kids into, um, um, homeschooling or so did you do a lot of research to find the one that you found because it seems like it's really good based on what lauren was saying uh galileo you're talking about yeah 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 galileo i was part of the formation of galileo oh sick. galileo is only it's only a year old uh, so galileo came out of the the first global homeschooling summit that we put together last year where we interviewed as many people as we possibly could around the world and that's when I had the opportunity to speak to Sir Ken Robinson. And I released that interview as part of this podcast series because he sadly passed away last month. And I wanted to keep the conversation alive because Sir Ken's work was just incredible. He still, his TED talk is still the most watched TED talk of all time. And he did three, but his original one, Do Schools Kill Creativity?, was such a defining moment in my wife and I's decision when I was done. Like you, I'd got to a point, like, I, none of this makes sense. I don't want to be here anymore. I've got four kids at home. I'm never seeing them. I'm a lodger in my own home at the weekend. How do I get off this nine to five hell, which at that point I'd already been in for 18 years. And I could not face another 20 of that. 
And finding Sir Ken's TED Talk was a defining moment because one of the biggest sticking points was this social construct and narrative around us of you've got to send your kids to the best school. You've got to, otherwise they'll never get on in life. You've got to give them everything that they, it's just such poison. Yeah. I mean, because I, it, I just want to like set my kids up to like do whatever makes them happy. And if it makes them happy going to a big school, then that's awesome. And like, if they want to learn engineering or chemistry or whatever, like that, that's really cool. But I just don't like the idea of when they're so young to put them into this, like, I mean, it, it's just not a good idea on like so many levels, even Corona is showing us like, like people will send their sick kids to school because they have to go to work. Like it, the idea of like, like there's so many levels of why it's a bad idea that I would like what I'm looking forward to is a world where we like, like we, we homeschool our kids, but then there's really good structures to do like activities and sports and stuff like that, because that's where I really, that's where I want them to get their social interactions. Cause I think that's really important as well. Like you can't just isolate them and then, you know what I'm saying? Like it, totally. And the, you know, the whole social argument just gets knocked down so much easier now. And again, thank you, COVID for taking us all to Zoom and proving that anything can be done via Zoom. You and I are talking right now, and this could be uh, in a classroom. So we we have, for example, we have three kids now that are on Galileo, and they are choosing the clubs that they want to join in. So I've got Samuel, he wants to do uh, coding combat. Lauren doesn't want to do that, so she doesn't join. But she wants to join the art and the music, Samuel doesn't want to do that, so he doesn't join. You know, these are nine-year-olds being given the power to choose the lessons that they turn up at. I love that. And that serves everybody because now if you're the tutor and if just four kids show up, that's great. That doesn't matter. Yeah. But those four kids are the ones that are interested. If 30 kids show up, that's also great because the only kids showing up are the ones that are interested and are driven to choose that. And if they don't like it after one or two sessions, they just ping the teacher on Basecamp and they say, really liked it, but I want to concentrate on something else. And okay, no problem. Maybe we'll see you next month if you want to come back because we're going to change up science next month. We're going to be learning about this instead of this month. And so they can always come back around to it. And this is all done remotely. And it's like... It's amazing. I mean, uh, and it's social because yeah, that's true. They they make friends in the Zoom because yeah. they might be put. Say there's a bigger class, they might the teacher might do. They call them facilitators, not teachers. Uh, this self-directed education ethos, and they put them into breakout rooms, and they will match. If there's a nine-year-old, they'll match a nine-year-old with a fourteen-year-old in math club, and they'll sit on Khan Academy together, and the fourteen-year-old will be talking the nine-year-old through it. Oh, that's so cool. at the at the time that the fourteen year old is talking, it, most people are like, "Well, that's a waste of time for the fourteen year old." He, no, it's not because he's teaching or she is teaching and reinforcing the knowledge in their own brain and finding gaps in the knowledge when they break down and then figure it out together. Definitely, and it's just amazing to see this relationship take hold. And then you've got kids; they're playing 
video games together and make people, well, that's just ridiculous. They can't be playing video games together. They should be at school. Well, guess what? You got a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old playing video games together. The nine-year-old is learning so much. The 13-year-old is acting as a mentor. All of this is just going together in this great big melting pot of self-directed education. They come off and then Lauren said to me the other day, nothing has helped my spelling and my reading more than interacting with uh, my classmates on ping and uh, direct message. Oh yeah. That makes sense. You know, of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all in, man. I, I'm, I'm really stoked on the idea and I love just the fact of like having the path of learning in the kid's hand in the kid's hands because then they can pursue whatever they want and they don't lose that love for learning where if someone is like force feeding you knowledge, it's really easy to just say like, I don't like this anymore. I'd rather have it be more like a buffet where they walk around and they get to choose what they want to eat. And if they don't like spinach, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to force them to eat it every day. Like maybe once a week, it's good to get a little spinach. (laughs) Um, Just buzz that up in a shake. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We'll mix it in with counting dinosaurs or something like that. (laughs) Oh, it's good to hear. That's really, really nice to know that people are questioning the that that style of education. But because it is when when you think about it from first principles, it is really a crazy way to organize society. Like you say, your your different animals analogy is perfect. Why would you? Hey guys, I've got a great idea. Let's take 30 million people and teach them all the same shit. Yeah. I mean, it's just building factory we, workers. It's like, it's we fu- know diversity it's, is key. It's, <laughs> it's fucked up. I'm sorry, like, I'm not supposed to curse, but they, that they're like building factory workers. But at the same time, in 1970, they went off the gold standard, went full fiat currency. To have the world reserve currency, you have to ship out your manufacturing jobs. So now they made a whole workforce that are built to be factory workers with no factories. And you wonder why nothing worked, why it's a shit show. Like, um, if you're going to b- make us all factory workers, at least give us factories. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> well, your only fallback is military because that was the whole Prussian school system. Fact, exactly. Uh, That's the other thing that a lot of people understand is that this, this was taken from Russia. Like this was mm-hmm. Russian like propaganda school. You can just see when we all, I pledge allegiance to the flag first thing in the morning. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> it's just silly. What's your real goal here? Like. <laughs> <laughs> It, Do you discuss this with your friends as well? Uh, uh, have they gone a little, a little bit this, here and there? Is this I'm, just, a bit I'm way far down the rabbit hole for most folks, but um, yeah, no, I not often do you get to go down the rabbit hole very much, man. I mean, once you go far enough, I feel like you take that orange pill. Like you can't, like you can't unsee it. Like it, it, it flavors the way you think about almost everything, and the like. So it's a little hit and miss. Sometimes I just try to not bring it up at all. But sometimes when I get a little too drunk, a little too fired up, I mean, of course, I'm going to bring out why fiat shitcoins suck. <laughs> you you brought up the orange pill there. And I was having a conversation with Croesus just recently. And I asked him the question at the end of the show, if you could red pill anybody, who would that person be and why? And he schooled me a little bit on what's going on in, in the US right now and, and the whole narrative around red pilling someone has 
kind of political connotations mm. because of the run-up to the election. What's your age group talking about with this? And are you? Is this a big voter base, or is is a no vote a vote? What, what what are your kind of thoughts on it, and what are you getting the vibes from the people that you're interacting with? I don't really like ask a lot of people those questions. To be honest, like I, I'm a very like non political person. Like I used to kind of lean like socialist, be like a Bernie bro kind of thing, because I was like, oh, it's obviously not like everything's not fair. We need to make it fair. Once you go far enough down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, you realize you can't really legislate fairness. And most of the time that just leads to regulatory capture and leads to unfairness over throughout time. So I'm, I'm one of those people that I'm just not voting. Honestly, I don't, I don't like Trump. I think he's a horrible person. I think Biden's got brain damage. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think the only way you can complain about the system as a whole is if you don't vote where like I, if you vote red, you can complain about blue winning but you can't complain about the system because you voted for red. And if you voted for blue, you can you can like talk shit on red winning, but you you're still enabling a corrupt system. So my form of peaceful protest is stacking sats and I just don't participate because I don't approve of what they've built or the people that they've chosen to run it. Like <laughs> um yeah, I I feel like most people my age know that like we've been given a shit hand. And they're upset about it, but like understanding why we got a shit hand and how this is a like a 50, a hundred year game, like the fourth turning kind of stuff like that, that goes way deeper than blue V red. And it takes a lot of work to get there. And a lot of people don't want to put in the work on that kind of stuff. They just want to say if, if, if blue wins, everything will be all right. Or if red wins, everything will be all right. It's way harder to say, we got to tear the shit down. Like everything. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm sitting on it. I don't really care about politics. So when moon, what color Lambo are you gonna get? Dude, I'm not a I'm not a number one, I'm not a fo- I'm not a fossil fuel guy. I'm more of a right. Tesla I'm a Tesla kind of guy. And um so I'm gonna get a dope Tesla. And I'm looking to get like one of those crazy wraps that like when you see it in the sun, it kind of changes colors and it's really shiny. Kind of like paint those brake calipers some crazy color like orange let's do orange um (laughs) yeah you're gonna you're gonna stay really low-key like uh yeah Yeah, i'm not not a fossil fuel guy man those teslas are so fast like (laughs) yeah they are incredible like the the real dream like my my little version of a citadel is i want a lake house with a nice Mm -hmm. with a nice boat and just stay on the lake and that, that's kind of the dream, man. We'll, we'll see how long it takes to get there, but hopefully I can trade a Bitcoin or two in for it at some point in time. Well, yeah. I mean, con- considering what you were saying earlier on about your price predictions, you might not be too far away from that lake. Yeah, and no, then- I, I might be a little too bullish. Like, I don't, I don't want people to think that I'm an investment advisor or anything like that. <laughs> 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 like, definitely do it at your own risk. I think... Bitcoin is the number one risk return asset in the world right now, point blank. Like, I think maybe you'll be able to find an asset that returns more, quote unquote, in whatever currency you choose and what time frame you choose. But as far as like a risk reward asset, like nothing touches Bitcoin right now. Like, 
it's just the king. Like I, I think there's other cool cryptocurrency projects that aren't trying to be money. And the ones that I'm interested in, you have the ability to use Bitcoin as like the base layer currency, because if something can't use Bitcoin, it's useless to me. And I really don't want to see all this complicated shit built onto Bitcoin because I just don't, man. Like, I, I don't think Bitcoin needs that. It can't handle it. Bitcoin has internal limitations, you know, but as far as like a, um, as like a bearer share, like ultimate collateral base layer, of the financial system, shit, man, that alone's worth five to 10 million a coin. Like why you, you don't need anything else. And I, I think that's pretty, that's kind of the future I envision a lot. I think, I know a lot of Bitcoiners don't agree with this, but I see blockchain technology being used in a lot of things from like um, settlement of uh, commodities and and that kind of stuff because I just think there's a lot of use cases. But like one example I like to give people is right now we live in a database world, you know? Like everything's on databases. Um, in the future you envision where like, not your keys, not your coins. Are you going to be cool with having your not owning the keys to your Apple stock? Like I, I, I won't personally. I want to own the keys to all my financial instruments. Like if I'm a, a commodities trader and I have, um, let's say, tons and tons of corn, I want to own the keys to the token representing that corn. I don't want that to be on someone else's database. So. Um, yeah, that's kind of some of the bigger things I envision, but I I stand firm that if it doesn't directly, if it can't incorporate Bitcoin into trust minimized slash um, no like no trust needed way, then it's useless to me because I think Bitcoin is the financial system. Yes, you've got such a bright future ahead of you because I still have you know I straddle the the legacy system and a lot of the saving that I did as a young man were into financial instruments that whether it's a hedge fund or a mutual fund or a fund of funds or a, a Vanguard type thing or some kind of 401k equivalent in the country that I was living in at the time, which I'm trying to get a hold of right now, which I'm six emails deep trying to find the right person in the right department Ugh. that needs to send me a letter, most likely I'm guessing by post, to confirm the fact that I've already jumped through the hoops and the red tape that I already had to jump through two or three years ago just to get access to, like I said, the 401k equivalent that uh, I'd left behind, which is rightfully mine. Yeah. Which, you know, that I was forced to save into that. Yeah. And my employer at the time was forced to match those contributions. Mm -hmm. And that government holds that. And yep. I would like it. Even when I do get this piece of paper, I've then got to make a round trip to my nearest embassy and back <laughs> to stand in some to stand in front of some schmo with four or five pieces of identification for them to sign off so somebody over there can do a click of a button and transfer it to my bank account. Yeah. I mean I'm and a firm believer in not your keys, with. not your coins. And that really right. that really goes for all financial instruments, in my opinion. Like we just live in a debt-based, mm -hmm. data-based world, credit-based world where like it's all entries into databases and ledgers. But at the end of the day, in our cryptographic future that we I'm assuming we both envision, the owning your keys is the only way to own the asset. And mm -hmm. um 
So that's why I think there's a bright future for other things. I just think Bitcoiners need to not get so sidetracked with like Ethereum calling itself hard money. It's not hard money. Let those idiots call it whatever they want. Like, and I don't even think Ethereum is going to be what I'm talking about. I think Ethereum will fail, but um, it may not. It, it really may not. It might work, but I think it'll fail. Um, but there's the Bitcoin will change a lot of things about the financial system. And I see it really as the foundation and the base layer of a house of, of a full financial house or stack built on top of it. But um, the base layer is going to eat most of the value. I mean, um, let, like let's say Bitcoin eats seventy to eighty percent of the value. Like, what are Bitcoiners even doing? Like, bitching or like uh, making fun of altcoiners? Like, just focus on your seventy to eighty percent. It's not this other ten to thirty percent isn't touching what Bitcoin is. I think. I, I think it's its own um, animal at this point. I. I yeah, I don't know. That might be going down a rabbit hole that's a little different than this podcast is used to. But um, <laughs> it's crazy because I we am a open... Bitcoin maximalist, but only a Bitcoin monetary maximalist. It's the money. It's the only money. But I think there's a lot of different financial instruments that will make up the surrounding economy as a whole based on crypto. Yes. Okay. Well, then that will lead us to the question of... If you had one orange pill left mm. to give to someone, who would that person be and why? Okay. So I've been thinking about this for a while because I listen to your podcast all the time. And I've got, I have to have two answers for you. And one's from right now, if it can only be right now, and one's from history and it's a little bit more abstract. And I'm, I'm going to give him the hard money and sovereignty pill. So right now, I'm going to do the basic bitch answer of Joe Rogan because I think that his community could really vibe with Bitcoin. And I think they have a lot of common ethos and, but Joe just doesn't understand money. And it kind of goes back to the root of the problem. Like people shouldn't understand money. Firemen, fighters, um, commentators shouldn't have to understand the financial system to not get their wealth stolen or have to pay someone else to preserve their wealth. So I'll go Joe Rogan on that side. And this is going to be a crazy answer for you. I've been thinking about this one. Historically, if I could orange pill or hard money slash sovereignty pill one person, I think I'd pick Jesus. Because I think if hard money and sovereignty was at core of the religion, then maybe USA would have never got off the gold standard. And like, I, I just think there could be some different ethoses around the world because it's the idea is spread the good word of hard money and sovereignty to as many people as possible. Who's going to do that more if it, the whole if the Bible was just covered in like stack hard money and stay humble? Like <laughs> <laughs> thou, thou shall stack stacks. Yes, that's what I wish. Like <laughs> thou shall stacketh the coin, and I'll I'll follow that shit all day, dude. <laughs> the, a new orange book. Yeah. Dude, it was so well, it was so fun being on here. It's my first podcast ever. I'm hoping I can uh, maybe do some other ones in the space after this. Man, it was so uh, so great to have you on, and really appreciate you reaching out and coming on and sharing as much as you did. And I hope I haven't said as many ums and uhs and you knows. No, for, it, it was uh, great, for you Uncle know. Bill. <laughs> 
So how can people find you and reach out and interact with you on Twitter or any other platform that you can be uh, found? Yeah, on? I think uh, Twitter's the go-to. I think it's at Crypto Joe Durte, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm sure you'll at me when you post this in the thing. But um, yeah, I really appreciate you letting me on here, man. This is so much fun and it was great to meet you. Um, I'd love to be on again someday and chat about the crazy world we're heading into. All right. Well, you're welcome back anytime. And let's, well, I think we should probably definitely schedule it once we break to the upside, as you as you so well predicted. So 288K, <laughs> I think that's the time. Is it 288 or 238? 288. So two, it, I my base case is it hits 288K in the next roughly one to two years, plus like mm-hmm. with a multiple of one to four X past that. I don't. I don't see it going much past a million dollars, and if it and if it okay. does, um, it's breaking to the upside. And we and we um, like Preston Pish often says, "Oh, he, I forgot to give him a shout out." Preston Pish is one of my favorites. He's a legend. Um, it I, in my dynamics class in college, I had to learn about uh, satellites and putting satellites into orbit and how you do that and how to calculate all the crazy shit involved with that. And I, and that's where Preston Pish's um, example makes a lot of sense to me where like the higher the velocity of the object goes, the farther its natural gravitational field, I mean, it's a uh, orbit will be, but if you get going fast enough, you escape the orbit entirely and you go off into space. So I think that's a very good analogy for what's going to happen with Bitcoin and how each, um, each having is kind of like the booster rockets turning on. And it gains velocity. It's very slow, but it doesn't lose velocity because it's in space. And it gains velocity until finally the booster shut off probably 6 to 12 months after the um, after the halving. And the satellite will just coast and it either finds a new gravitational orbit, which I'm guessing is 288,000, or it escapes. That, that's, that's my vision. And that's the escape velocity yeah, that Preston talks about. Yeah, and I think the escape velocity is either going to get hit on this halving, which I actually don't think is going to happen. I think it's going to get somewhere between 400,000 and a million, and it's going to have a steep correction. But if it can get past a million, if it can touch two million, it's not out of the question that it hits escape velocity. But I, I think it won't happen for another five to 10 years from now, to be honest. Part of me wants to say... Let's just bump along between 10 to 12K for another four years, get as stack, many people in as stack. possible. <laughs> yeah, stack as much as we can, educate as many people as we can. But to your point, way back at the beginning of the show, we need some kind of crazy blow-off top event to get here, to get the next bunch of people interested oh number go up technology is by far the biggest driver and it's freaking in the code it's like scarcity and number go up technology is built into the code so really what if you think bitcoin's heading to the moon you're betting on the demand either staying the same or going up and if it goes up then we hit a true exponential like if it goes up like it did in 2017 we hit an exponential and we hit between 500,000 and a million and if that if that demand doesn't show up for some reason, which I mean, if you're looking at micro strategies and Paul Tudor Jones, it's already started. But if it if it doesn't show up for some reason, then maybe um, maybe we just stay at 12k for five years. Who knows? 
<laughs> it's all it's all educated guess, man. All about probabilities. Would you be interested in a job if micro strategy come knocking? Oh hell yeah. I would be <laughs> I'd be interested in a job if if any of these Bitcoin companies come knocking. I mean I'd I'd or even a financial firm. Like I I'm really excited about the financial space and I think I know quite a bit. But um, I just don't got any paper to back it up. I got, I'm a mechanical engineer. I don't have any sort of business degree or anything or finance, but I do my homework. Well, you have, you have that love of learning. Yeah. That's, that's far more important than a piece of paper and a certificate on framed on a wall that you've just grinded through Econ 101 to get and then just get whipped into shape by... Uh, it's just... Dude, there's no way I could go through four years of Keynesian economics. I would, I would, I would cause a havoc in that classroom. That would not be good. <laughs> Maybe that's your calling. Maybe you have to go there and use that to to <laughs> dispense as many or, uh, as many orange peels as possible. All right, I'll pass them out like candy. Econ one hundred and one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Joe. Well, it's been great getting to know you, man. And uh, we will definitely do this again once we reach two hundred eighty-eight k. Hey, that sounds good, man. I'll talk to you later. Peace out. Thank you so much. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening to to that. And thank you so much for uh, Joe Dirty for reaching out and coming on and sharing his thoughts and being brave and taking the leap and, and you know, putting his his mind on the line and uh, sharing his story. Uh, I I love talking to these these young guys that have made such a monumental mind shift in such a short amount of time. It gives me so much hope for the future. When we're talking about, you know, one of the favorite books in the space is the Sovereign Individual. If we can, well, it's happening already. Uh, you, we, we've got a young man here, still in his twenties, that has seen the light has left corporate America uh, corporate America because he knew it wasn't right for him and what he was doing was completely against the grain of his moral fiber and his ethical beliefs and bitcoin provided that safety net to to walk away from it rather than like the generations before him my generation especially in the boomers that you just stick around and grind it out because that's all you know. And the sunk cost fallacy is just so damn crippling that you cannot ever imagine a life away from it. You know, we get told this story from birth, go to school, work hard, get good grades, go to more school, work harder, get even better grades, get a job, work hard, get the promotion, work even harder, get another promotion, get married, buy that house that you can't afford, mortgage it, go into debt, shackle yourself for 25 years, have some kids, get that Porsche when you're 45 because it'll all be fine when you're 65 or 70 and then you can start living life. Fuck that. (laughs) 
I can't make that any clearer to anyone that's listening right now. Seriously. It's not, it's no way to go. And thank God for Bitcoin. Because you really do now have this opportunity to start stacking some sats and move into something completely unique. Completely ours. That is going to take back our time, our values, our beliefs, whatever they might be, it doesn't matter. It, but it, it, I don't know. I, I, I hope I'm coming across okay and not completely delusional, but believe in Bitcoin if you're here. You, you already probably do. Put your head down, keep stacking sats, look after your family, look after your own. Become as self-sovereign as you can and let's build a, a really bright orange future, as they like to say over at Swan. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't be more bullish. Here we go. Let's go. Bring it on. Thank you, Joe Dirty, for coming on. Thank you for being an inspiration for your generation and speaking up and sharing your story. Really appreciate that. It was a pleasure to meet you. Guys, if, um, if you're listening, thank you so much for being here, for being part of this journey. I love the support. Love all the banter on Twitter, as you know. DMs are open. Keep bringing the noise. We need as many people as possible to take this thing forward now. Class of 2020. I'm loving what I'm seeing. I cannot believe I'm almost... No, I'm not. I am completely jealous of the situation you're in. Getting here now and just... You're on the bullet train down the rabbit hole. The amount of material that is out there, the people that have, you know, stepped up and written articles, blog posts, created podcasts, YouTube videos, whatever it is, there's so much. Uh, The books, you guys are on the fast train, you're on the fast track, and you're gonna stack, and you're gonna stack hard, and you're gonna help us cross the chasm. So thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Adam, at Adam Williams one for putting all of this together, supporting the show from very early and helping me make this into what it's becoming. And thanks to all you guys. Thank you, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten for the support very early. And thank you, Swan, Swan Bitcoin com forward slash once bitten you guys know where to go to start stacking your stats